Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo-Coster. I'm super excited for today's episode because we're talking all about ad creative. When you're running ads on platforms like Facebook and Instagram, you know you have a lot of content to compete with. And one of your main goals is to stop the scroll. And today's guest is going to teach us how to do just that. Lauren Schwartz is a thought leader in creating profitable creative strategies for e-commerce brands and a design professional who has been in the e-commerce game for 15 years. Her passion lies in creating top performing ad creative for Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and Pinterest, and has personally led the creative strategy for brands such as Love Wellness, APL, ColourPop, Our Place, and Leaf Shave. Based out of Orange County, California, when she's not working for her clients, she's teaching others her profitable creative methodology. Let's give a warm welcome to Lauren. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Yeah, thank you for having me. (laughs) Very excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you about this because ads people will kind of talk about what's more important, the creative or the audience, right? And ultimately, I think you need both. But creative is the thing that gets them to actually like stop and look. That's the first thing that we see as we process visuals faster. So it's a really important conversation. I'm just super excited to have you here to talk about it. But before we get into that, I'd love for you to share with the audience just a little bit about your background and how you've got into ad creative specifically. Yeah, so it was definitely a long road to kind of get to this specific niche. You know, I had worked in e-commerce for the past 15 years. And as I've kind of started working in e-commerce, it was one of those things where I just saw the need for it. I had worked on landing pages and email marketing. And when I started working at one of the agencies that I worked at, really just focusing in on people's ad creatives was very fascinating to me. You know, it's such a game, I kind of feel like, especially with creative, you just have to always be testing and just always learning. And for me, it was fun to figure out what was winning and what was working. And so as I kind of started to get more into it, I just really kind of fell in love with it and kind of just led me here. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that's how a lot of us get to where we're going. Like I started e-commerce badassery by accident, honestly, just helping people with their emails. So like who knew where this thing was going to go? And then I would like have a podcast where I was like interviewing other people and stuff. So it's just crazy. And I definitely want to talk about the testing piece because I think in any marketing that you do, testing is so, so important. And I don't know that enough people are talking about that. So we're definitely going to come back to that. But I'd love to know, like when you start working with a client, 
Tell me more about your process. How do you approach the creative? Are there specific elements that are super important or whatever else it is that we need to know about doing this successfully? So usually when I start working with a new client, obviously the biggest thing is just looking through their asset library. I'll usually get all their assets. And for me, the biggest thing is making sure that they have really strong product photography, making sure that they have user-generated content, and just making sure that they have assets that I could essentially kind of manipulate and pull from. You know, a lot of people and a lot of businesses as they start out, they don't really have maybe everything. But if they have some of those elements, I could at least get started in order to at least start creating And then really, it's just a lot of research for me at the beginning. It's looking at their website, looking at their product pages, looking at their Instagram, kind of figuring out how they talk about their product, how they really just kind of portray their product to other people. For me, that's just an easier way to kind of figure out how I can make the ad creatives work when I understand how they like to talk to their customers, it makes it a lot easier for me to just convey that messaging through their ad creatives. So for you, you're kind of taking someone who already kind of knows who their customer is, has that all dialed in, understands the marketing message, and then you're just sort of bringing that to life through the creative itself. Yeah. So most of the clients I work with now are already pretty well established. I have a couple new clients. It's just a brand new product. So right now we're actually learning all of that (laughs) as we're kind of developing everything. But for the most part, the clients I work with now are very well-established clients and they have a pretty large following already. When someone, maybe they're going to do this for themselves, right? A lot of my listeners, they are in the multi-six going into the seven or even early multi-sevens, but they're not necessarily outsourcing to an agency. They're trying to do things in-house. So if you were to tell them, hey, like these are the most important things to remember when you're creating that creative, are there specific things that you would tell them to focus on? Yeah, I think with every brand, it's making sure that you're conveying or showing your product really in the first three seconds. Again, that's kind of the hook that I like to talk about a lot is really trying to grab people's attention within the first three seconds and then always making sure that you're showing your product within the first three seconds. So whether that's a still image or a person, a user-generated content where they're holding the product and talking about it, Most of the time, well, not most of the time, all the time, people don't necessarily like to sit and watch videos. And so making sure that you're getting that product within the first three seconds, I think is the biggest thing that I tell most people that they need to get across because after that fourth, fifth, sixth second, you're going to lose them probably. So it's just making sure that you're just showing your product to at least pique their interest enough to kind of get them to click through. Yeah, guys, we don't have a lot of time (laughs) to keep them engaged with what we're doing. And you know, that's important even for organic content when you're thinking about IGTV videos, or if you're going live, or you're doing a reel, like you have to hook them to get them to keep watching. Think of that first three seconds, like your email subject line. So the email subject line, its only goal is to get them to open the email. Exactly. The first three seconds of your video is to get them to watch the rest of the video. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. If I can get people to stay longer than five seconds, I feel like I struck gold. Like that's the best ad I've ever created. <laughs> okay. So you talked video, kind of static image, and I want to talk more about the ad itself, but do you find that one performs better than the other generally, or does it really depend on the product, how good the creative is, the audience? Unfortunately, there's no real solid answer. Now, I do get this question a lot, and it's always hard to kind of pinpoint because I think it all works together, really. So I do have a lot of static images that perform really, really well. And I always tell people, don't underestimate your static imagery, because if you have a really nice lay down of your product, and it looks enticing enough to want to click through it, then really, at the end of the day, that person's going to be intrigued enough to click on it. And it's still a static image. I mean, I have a lot of accounts where static outperforms video. But then again, I also have a lot of clients where their user-generated content outperforms static. And again, having those really good audiences to put those ads into just works so well together that there's no real like winning formula as far as how to get everything working perfectly. I mean, things change so fast in e-commerce, especially on the ad platforms that it's always hard to like, once you find a winning creative to just make sure that you're constantly iterating off of that winning creative to see if you can outperform it. So you test until you find your winner and then kind of use that as your control and then continue to test against that control. Exactly. Okay. That makes perfect sense. I hope everyone's taking notes. If you're listening to this on like two times speed, mark this one and come back to it when you can listen <laughs> to it slower. Because <laughs> I listen to all my podcasts on two times speed. And then I'm like, oh, I have to go back and like listen to this one again. So let's pretend if you're just getting started, start testing with a static image and some kind of video. Let me ask you about the video piece. Do you find that something more of a TikTok slash real style video works better than like an overproduced professional looking video? Yes, 100%. It's funny because so many people I feel either love TikTok or hate it. And I think the greatest thing that's come of TikTok is just finding these really great content creators that know how to grab your attention so fast. I mean, I get lost in hours on TikTok. Like I will just scroll through and like people just constantly catch my attention on there. But they do such a great job of showing products so quickly, but making it so interesting to watch that you just want to keep watching the whole video. And they do it in less than six seconds. Sometimes their videos are only like six to 10 seconds. So I think those 100% always outperform any high production kind of content that we have, especially on Facebook and Instagram. That is 100% the best performer. But I have found that if you are doing YouTube, for instance, with ads that high production does better than user generated content. So it's always one of those things like know your platforms, but for consistency, yes, Facebook and Instagram, definitely that sort of quicker IG reels, TikTok style is 100% outperforming. And that should make you guys listening feel so much better. Like you don't have to produce these like insanely professional 
perfect videos because that's not what users are looking for right now. Now, if you're listening to this podcast episode in 2024, we might be having a different conversation by then. But (laughs) right now in June of 2021, when we're recording this, that is what is performing. And I love that you kind of talk about the content creator piece. And I definitely want to touch on that because I'm actually right now doing a 30 day real challenge with myself that I'm going to post a reel every day for 30 days. I think I'm on like day eight. So we'll see how it goes. But I do not consider myself a content creator. My brain just does not work that way. And not everybody's does. And like, that's okay. So I'm just kind of following some trends and trying to adapt things to my business. But do you find that it is in the best interest of the business to just invest in the people who can create the content that's going to convert versus trying like to struggle and do it themselves? (laughs) Yeah. Again, those are always questions that I get asked constantly. And I know there are times when it does seem outrageous to pay some of these people their pricing. But at the end of the day, I look at it and I always tell them like, yes, you have to pay a lot up front, but in the long run, they will get you the return on your investment. I mean, they know what they're doing. That's why they do this. And they have that mindset of knowing how to capture your attention. They know the trends. They know what style works. I just think it's one of those things like it is very important to just invest in it because in the long run, it's going to help your business that much more. Yeah. And I don't know that we've all wrapped our heads around the fact that being a content creator is a skill. Yes. It's actually a lot of work. (laughs) It is a skill. I think there's an innate talent that some people have, and then they just kind of hone that with practice. And that we need to really remember that this is a specialized thing that they do just like you don't expect everyone to be able to like get on stage and like belt out a Whitney Houston song, right? Not everyone can create really amazing content. So I think we have to give them a little bit more credit. And I think in the small business space, we haven't totally gotten there yet, but I do talk about it a lot to my people to just say like, I know you like, oh, I don't want to pay that much for a post, But you have to remember that it is their job too. And oh my gosh, so there's this one TikTok girl. I do not remember her name. She's a dancer by trade. And she's done like every shuffle trend video there is. Can't remember her name right now. I should have looked it up. When I find it, I'll put it in the show notes of this episode. But she just started a partnership with Crocs. And the video she created for them is she's doing her shuffle thing, right? And she always does like all these super cool transitions and stuff. But in them, she's like kicking her leg and like putting on a crock or it was like every step she took was like putting a crock on her foot. Wait, is it the Kelly? Maybe. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, she's insane. And that probably took her a really long time to create that. So just kind of think of them as if you had someone in-house who was creating this content for you, you know, they would probably be a full-time employee. So I just want you to come at it from that place and see the value in it. Because I think when you don't invest, just like not investing in someone to teach you how to do something you don't know how to do, or investing in someone who can just do it better than you, is you miss out on opportunity. 
I'm glad you're saying this because it is a hard pill, I feel like, for business owners to swallow. And I get it. But at the end of the day, that is their job. And they will come back with the best content for you. And you'll be amazed at how well it converts for you. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how you actually do the testing, like the mechanics behind that. Yeah. So when I usually do testing, I kind of test two different ways. So I test the first three seconds and I test the first three seconds with copy. Again, the biggest thing is grabbing that person's attention and then trying to find something that resonates with them. So for me, I will usually do probably about six pieces of creative and three of those will be different intro, like intros of three seconds with the same copy. And then the second one will be the same intro with different copies. So copy variations at the beginning. For me, it's just trying to figure out, okay, what is it that's actually resonating with people? Is it the first three seconds imagery or is it the first three seconds copy? And so a lot of times, like it's just trying to figure out those different styles of how and what's going to work. And then once I kind of start to gather some information, then that's where I can really kind of take that learning and really start testing heavily with new copy variations, new mixes of the videos, and just kind of figuring out what are the creatives that work really well for these accounts. And sometimes we put creatives into the account and all of them fail and (laughs) nothing really happens, which that happens so much. And then sometimes you'll get like a clear, clear winner where you're like, great, this is the best performing ad. This is what works. This is how it resonates with your audience. And then we can continue to kind of build from there. So that's how I like to start testing. And then really what it is, is it's just building upon that testing every week. It's really just test, learn, test, learn, and continue to grow from there because that's how you're going to scale faster is by testing as many as you can and starting to learn what's resonating with your consumers. And then once you find those winning formulas, it's so easy to just take those learnings and scale up. Do you use the dynamic creative in ads to do this? Yeah. Dynamic creative testing is super important. Most of the campaigns, when we kind of start to build them out, that's where we put creatives. And then once we find kind of what's working, then we can move those into our other ad sets. Got it. So for you guys listening, if you're not completely familiar with this, the dynamic creative ads allow you to upload, I think it's up to five visual creatives. Is it just five of everything? Yeah. Yeah. Five pieces of copy. And then it kind of mix and matches them for you and then tells you which one does the best. That's kind of the short version. There's some strategy and stuff behind how you do this, which is probably what we can't get into today, but just so you know that it exists. So essentially you'll have like the same ish video. You just have the first three seconds of that video be a little bit different to see which one hooks them best. Exactly. Cause really, I mean, Facebook is the machine and the robot and they know what they're doing. So they're going to pick those winning combinations for you. For me, it's like, I just put the creative in there and I let Facebook do its thing. And then they're going to tell me what is going to be the best 
result. Yeah. I mean, guys, think of it. You've heard me talk about A-B testing emails. You know, you just kind of test some things against each other and see which one the people like better. Yeah. <laughs> Let the data tell you. Don't try and guess. Yeah. Make your lives easier for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's what it's there for. I would love to know what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making when it comes to their ad creative? The biggest mistake I see is not explaining their product in an easy fashion where it can be digested within 15 seconds. So making sure that you're talking to your audience kind of like you're talking to a child. And I know that sounds really bad to say, but that's how it is. Like you need to make it as simple as possible because one, you're trying to grab their attention super fast as you're scrolling through your feeds. And then you're also trying to get as much information into an ad. But if you're over explaining it, you're going to lose them and people are just going to scroll right past you. So a lot of times what I tell my clients is we want to get people to click and go to your website and then on your website and your landing page is where you can have way more information. Because really at the end of the day, you want people to go to your website and you want people to purchase. And we can't put everything into an ad because again, you're just going to lose people and it's going to be so confusing for them that they just won't even want to engage in the product. So I just try to tell clients, we have to break it down like you're talking to a five-year-old because that's how much time you have in order to get them to even look at your ad creative and click through. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I always say it's like you're talking to an eight-year-old. I use eight instead of five, but essentially it's the same thing, right? Like when you're talking about your business, explaining what you do, what your product does, the value the customer is going to get from it. If an eight-year-old doesn't understand what you do, then your customer is not going to understand either. And I just kind of want to pull this thread together. So the goal of the ad creative is to get them to look <laughs> at the ad. Like that's its one job is to get them to stop the scroll and look. And then your ad as a whole, the ad's job is just to get them to click. And this is something I explain about email as well. When you are creating content for your emails, you're not going for the sale. You're going for the click just get them to your website and let your website sell the product. So I love thinking of it that way. Doesn't that make it feel so much less stressful to create an ad too? Like when you know all you have to do is get them to click through, like that's way easier. Yeah. And I think that's where it is a lot of times too, like with the clients I work for, when I do their kind of ad account audit, I always look at the landing pages and ask them, okay, where is this ad going to drive to? Because if I'm confused by your landing page and I'm the person who's making the ad and I know your product, then 95% of the world is not going to understand it as well. So just making sure that you're explaining it so clearly, again, five, eight-year-old a child, basically, if they can understand your landing page, they're going to understand the product and they're going to want to purchase it. So that's pretty much like if I can get my click through rate at a pretty good level, then I'm happy because then it's like, okay, well, I did my job. I got them to click through. And then obviously, if we can get the website purchases, that's even better. But really, at the end of the day, it makes it easier for me that if my click through rate is super high, then I'm doing my job. Right. When you're thinking just about e-commerce in general, 
no matter what your marketing channels are, you have to look at each step in that customer journey separately because they each mean something different. Yeah. You know, like Lauren is saying, if you have a really high click-through rate on an ad, but then people aren't buying, likely the breakdown is on your product page or that landing page or somewhere in your checkout process. Most people are using Shopify. Checkout is not the issue. Your landing page is the issue. If people are not clicking on it, then that's an ad problem and that's where you need to start. And it's the same thing with email, right? If people open your emails, your subject line is not the problem. If they are clicking inside of your email, then your content is not the problem. But if they're not purchasing, then it's the landing page. So I encourage you to always, when you're analyzing your results, to make sure that you are looking at each step separately and thinking about what is it that drives this particular metric. So ad clicks, likely you're creative. That's a short story there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is it a short? It's never a short story when I talk, but I think my audience knows that about me. <laughs> so we talked about this already in terms of trends that are happening right now, user generated content, TikTok-y real type things. I think we all know that that's kind of trending. Is there anything else that's maybe flying a little bit more under the radar? Yeah, those are the biggest one that I'm seeing right now. As far as ad trends go, I've been seeing a lot more and I've been testing this a lot more of these like, it looks like your ad is a Twitter post and you're doing a review, but it looks like it's on Twitter, if that makes sense. So kind of like someone looked at Twitter and they took a screenshot of it, but it was like someone talking. We've been testing that a lot with my accounts and with my ad buyers. And for some reason, those seem to resonate with people. I think because it just looks really organic and it looks like something that people are like, oh, okay, like this person's giving a review, but it looks like that brand took a screenshot of the Twitter post and just made it an ad basically. It's kind of like user-generated content, but it's a still image as opposed to like a video. So I think that that's a trend that I'm seeing that is kind of flying under the radar. I mean, I've been doing that a lot recently, and it's been working really, really well. That's awesome. I see that all over Instagram too, just in people's feed posts. It's kind of been a thing for the last few months. So that makes sense. I think the more you can make it look like it's just part of their feed and not an ad, the better off you will do. Exactly. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Like I said, I hope you guys are taking notes, but every time I interview someone on the podcast, I always have these specific questions that I ask because I think there's a lot of bullshit on the internet <laughs> about how e-commerce is so easy and it's not it's a lie. So I like to keep it real. So anytime I have someone on the show, I love to ask them about their biggest failure, whether it's like a strategy that you tested with a client or something that just completely bombed. Because I want people to know that no matter how we look on the outside, like we have it all together and our businesses are perfect, they're not and it's chaos behind the scenes. So any big ad flops you've had you can share? <laughs> yes, I've had many. I mean, it's hard to pinpoint just one, but 
I think for me, like one of the biggest things that I've done in my ad creative career, you know, I had a client and at the time I was really big on like 3D renderings and just saying like, this is going to work. I've seen Nike do it. And it's just one of those ad creatives that it's going to be great. We invested some money into this 3D rendering, did all this stuff and it failed miserably, really like in the long run and what we paid for the rendering and the time and the money that went into it. It was just one of those things where I was like, yep, I totally steered you in the wrong direction. And I apologize. (laughs) That was just one of the many that I've had. But that was something that I was like, we're not Nike. That's not a brand that we should have been doing this with. But at the time, it just seemed like such a great idea. And it was horrible. Yeah, I think we've all been in that place where it's shiny object. You see this new cool thing and you're like, oh my God, I want to do that too. And sometimes you just have to really think about is the payoff going to be worth it? And what would it even take? And it depends what size business you are. But like with Nike, like even if that particular ad doesn't perform for them, like it doesn't matter. Like they don't care. Yeah. (laughs) They're Nike. (laughs) Yeah. They have all this other money and they have another ad that's freaking killing it and is going to pay for that one. But when you're like a small and mid-sized business, you don't really have that luxury. Don't get too much FOMO about what you see the big guys doing. I think that's a really good lesson. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What about on a more positive note, a success with the strategy that you tried with a client? I had a client And they were a feminine care product company. And obviously with feminine products, vitamins, any sort of feminine product, it's one of those, unfortunately, those cliche things that you just don't want to talk about, but it happens. Like it happens to every woman. And it's just one of those things that like, it's not going away. And at the time they were really hesitant with just testing headlines. And one of their products was a vaginal cleanser And we just kind of came up with this clear image of the cleanser and then one headline on a static image that said vaginas aren't complicated. And that ad crushed it. I mean, that ad was in that account for years. Like it was one of those things that it just outperformed every piece of creative. And so sometimes it's just as simple as a clear image with a really killer headline that will, for some reason, just resonate with people. And they just are like, yep, I get it. Yes, I definitely feel that. And I don't know how much you read about me, but I used to sling dildos on the internet in my previous day job. We couldn't do social media ads because we were banned from all the things, but we sold a lot of that product too. And so selling that through email when people don't want to talk about that stuff, there's an art and a science to selling products like that. So freaking kudos to you. They're not complicated. (laughs) (laughs) They're not. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Okay. So after all of this goodness today, if you could give my audience like one takeaway, something that they should 100% either implement or just like remember about this process, what would that be? Look to TikTok as your influence for user-generated content. Again, I know a lot of people have a hard time with that, but they know what they're doing and they will really help you sell your product. And even if it's something that you yourself want to try as a business owner, kudos to you because I think that's always so complicated and hard to do. But 
if you think that you can take on some of these trends and implement them into your business, then I would 100% say to at least try. There's actually two online or e-commerce business owners that I know that have legit built their business off of social media and just stepping into the role of being the content creator. It's not necessarily what they were comfortable with, but they knew, hey, I'm a small business. I'm going to put my face on this thing. Not that you have to put your face, but they chose to, but they knew that the way they were going to do it is by creating this type of content. And as soon as they leaned into that, like both of their businesses just blew up. It's like you can't ignore what the data is telling you. Exactly. So Lauren, thank you again so much for just coming here and chatting with me. Tell everyone where they can find you and learn more from you. My Instagram is at theloft325 and my website is theloft325. And yeah, if you have any questions, I love answering DMs and emails. So just get in contact with me. And I'll have all of Lauren's links in the show notes so you can go check her out, follow her on Instagram, go hit her up in the DMs and ask her questions about your creative. (laughs) Hopefully she doesn't mind. Thank you so much, everyone, for spending your time with me. I know you could be anywhere on the internet right now. I hope you learned a ton. I hope you have a kick-ass day and I will see you on the flip side. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.